This is Farmer's Inside Track, supported by Food for Mzansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hazard Mzansi, welcome to Season 2 of our brand new podcast series. We unashamedly salute the unsung heroes of agriculture. We believe in the power of agriculture to create social cohesion. My name is Kwebus Lorenz, the co-founder of Food for Mzansi. With me in the studio is Dawn Numdu, the editor of Food for Mzansi. Hey Kwebus, I must say that Farmers Inside Track has been absolutely amazing. I've been able to connect with so many farmers and experts in the agri-sector and season two is super exciting as well. I'm really enjoying season two. There's such a lot of nerdy information I'm learning about climate-friendly farming and agriculture this season. Me on the other end, Kobus, I had no idea what all of this stuff was about, but being able to engage with farmers who is regenerative farmers and just people in the know about climate change and climate change challenges when it comes to farming has really upped my knowledge and I really like it as well. I think we're going to learn a lot from today's guest. We've got Angus McIntosh in the studio. He's also known as Farmer Angus. He's a producer of grass-fed, pasture-reared beef from Stellenbosch. Um, he applies biodynamic and regenerative agricultural principles and practices in the rearing of all the animals on his farm. And he's actually responsible for a world first. In 2013, he became the first person globally to actually sell carbon credits for increasing the carbon contents of the pastures where his cattle grazes. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. Welcome, Angus, and thank you so much for joining Farmers Inside Track. Guys, it's a pleasure to be here. So, Angus, interesting story. You went from a stockbroker to a farmer. How did that happen, and why regenerative farming? It's not a very dramatic story. It wasn't a Damascene conversion. What basically happened is that we had a situation in London where we had our second child. At the same time, they wanted to promote me to go to Tokyo and sell derivatives. The combination of realizing that our children were going to grow up as bankers' children and we suddenly then had an option to come back to South Africa. It became a very difficult choice because the golden handcuffs from stockbroking are very attractive. After much soul searching, we decided to quit the whole industry and come back to South Africa. We ended up building a house. They ended up being a, building a clay house. And I then read Michael Pollan's book, which I'm not sure if you've read, called The Omnivore's Dilemma. Fascinating book about the world's agriculture systems. The book basically follows three meals from source to finish. The conventional standard American meal, a grass-based meal from a guy called Joel Salatin in Virginia and America, and then a hunter-gatherer meal. And I was so inspired by Salatin, I, I put the book down in June of 2008, and I said to my wife, I want a farm like Joel Salatin. So in late December 2008, we started this regenerative program. Although having lived on farms in KZN as a kid, not really involved with the farming, in hindsight, very conventional type of farming, livestock farming. I have only been interested in regenerative agriculture. You read a book and then decided the next day, you know what, I'm doing this. And what has it been like for you, changing your life, deciding that this is what you want to do? Did anyone say, hey, Angus, I think you've lost your mind. Are you sure you want to do this? 
Well, to the I've lost your mind point, there's a lot of people who believe that. In fact, it's been a very interesting observation over the years how a lot of friends have changed their perceptions. And what I'm talking about is the stigma in certainly in the English-speaking Anglo-Saxon world against anybody who's not a lawyer, an engineer, possibly in media, a doctor. There's a real view that farmers, electricians, plumbers are second-class citizens. Now, it doesn't actually affect me, but I went from being a big swinging dick at Goldman Sachs to being a farmer, and a lot of my friends are like, are you mad? But it's a real problem because you can imagine that for my staff, it's also the same thing. Nobody wants to be a farm laborer. You'd much rather be selling cell phone covers in a shopping mall. And that's one of the major challenges we've had with our staff is to try and get them to see the value of what they're doing. How do you do that? How have you gone about changing the perception also for the people who work for you? We view our farmers having to stand on three legs, the financial, the social, and the ecological. Ecological is easy. Are you increasing the carbon content in your soil? If you are, you're farming regeneratively. Financially, obviously, it's also easy. You're either making money or losing money. The social is a bit more complex, considering the history of South Africa, considering the bias in society against farming and all of those things. So we do lots of things. The first thing is we pay our staff more. Cash is king. Cash can persuade anyone to think about anything. So we pay our staff significantly more than anybody else does. We give them longer holidays, paid maternity and paternity leaves much longer. We do a thing where three mornings a week we gather together, we sing together, we do some exercises, a bit of team building. And we try and certainly for the more senior people, I try and incorporate them when visitors come, try and push them, involve them when I do social media photographs, tell a story about them. I would love most of my staff to eventually go on and go and manage regenerative operations. That's certainly how I see our farmers. It's a big training center. I'm going to break the flow a little bit, but I'm interested in just getting back to the farmer Angus thing. So it's a bit of a persona or does it work for you in terms of marketing? Yeah. The Farmer Angus is, is an interesting, the evolution of Farmer Angus was, was quite interesting because when we started farming, we originally did all our marketing and our labels and everything as pasture-reared eggs and pasture-reared beef and pasture-reared chicken because okay. we just felt it had a sort of nice feeling to it. It then transpires, people were saying in case they didn't know, I'm doing pasture-reared this, pasture-reared that. So it became a, a generic thing almost. Okay. It's, it's like the term organic yeah. or the term free range. They've lost their meaning. So my wife actually said to me, you need to brand this around yourself. This is about a year in. And I said to her, Ish, I'm not so comfortable. I don't want it to be about me. It's about the movement, about the mm. product. She's actually mostly right about most things. In this case, she was. So it's really worked in our favor. The added element of branding it around a person is that in South Africa, the government is hell-bent on expropriation without compensation. So I've said to everybody that don't go and make a big effort to brand your thing around the farm. Because the government wants to take your land. They're probably going to end up taking the land. But that's a discussion for another time. So I think you should be branding yourself around a person. So you can operate from? From anywhere. Land ownership is not your problem. Tell me about this movement. You seem to have a real sense of, of mission around regenerative farming. What is it that you're trying to achieve? So my perception, and it might sound a little bit extreme, is that human beings are committing species-wide suicide. What does that mean exactly? So the first time I heard species-wide suicide was actually from Vandana Shiva. I'm not sure if you've ever watched any of her stuff, videos, or if you've ever, ever, ever read any of her stuff. She's an incredible woman. Vandana, V-A-N-D-A-N-A-A, and Shiva, S-H-I-V-A. So Vandana Shiva is a physicist, for starters. She's also a regenerative farmer and has built women farmers in India. 
And she's very explicit about how human beings are committing species rights suicide. So I don't want to try and pretend to sound mm. as clever as Vandana Shiva does because I'm not in her league. However, on every metric that you can measure, whether it's the health of the soil, the health of the oceans, the health of the rivers, the health of human beings, we're in decline. Whether you measure on fertility, obesity, cancer rate, cancer is not only the fastest growing speciality within medicine, it's the biggest speciality within medicine. And what is cancer? It's about death, nothing mm. else. I don't pretend that I know the answers to cancer, but I can tell you that most of cancer has got to do with your lifestyle and that mm. most of your lifestyle is about what you eat. The only thing that there's agreement of in the agricultural community, whether it's the regenerative or destructive or academia or medicine, the only thing everyone agrees upon is that the nutritional content of food has been in decline for more than 100 years. That's undisputable. That's the only agreement. After that, everyone disagrees about everything. So my own view is that it's because of the way we farmed. We've destroyed our soils, which holds all the nutrients, and therefore the virtual cascade up is healthy soil, healthy plants, healthy animals, healthy humans, healthy society. That's how we go up. And so what appeals to me about regenerative agriculture is that we can actually address a huge amount of the world's problems. A child that's malnourished, a child that has copious amounts of glyphosate in their diet cannot think because all the micronutrients are bound up. That is the patent of glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup. Every loaf of bread in South Africa is Roundup in it. Our staple diet in South Africa is the only country in the world where the staple diet is genetically modified. So last thing I want to say about human health, and this is a question for both of you. Last March, the, a group called Indigo Global Wellness did a study of 191 countries in the world. They have 10 metrics that they use, whether it's obesity or tobacco use or cancer or healthcare spending, whatever it is, they measure 10 things. Where does South Africa rank? Dawn, where do you think South Africa ranks? I really can't think about it. <laughs> Numbers usually confuse me. No, but, but just guess. I mean, are we more to the top of the scale or the bottom of the scale? Bottom of the scale, I'm guessing. How close to the bottom? How close to the middle? Out of 191, give me a number. 120. <laughs> there you go. What do you say? Nice safe guess. 100 and... 100? 191. South Africa is the single unhealthiest country in the whole world. Nobody is unhealthier than we are. We don't know it. You guys are super informed individuals already, and you didn't know that. Surely, every politician would talk about it. Surely, it would be on the front page of everybody's election manifesto. We have to have a healthy country. Nobody talks about it. Nobody knows about it. What's the good news? I'll tell you what the good news is. We can't get worse. You're saying it works from the bottom up, so how So regenerative farming will address, immediately work? addresses those issues. Immediately, every single one of them. The first thing is it's going to produce nutrient-dense food. So let's talk about nutrient density. We took our eggs and we did amino acid profiling on our eggs. We did our eggs, we did so-called free-range, which by the way is total consumer fraud. There's nothing free-range about free-range eggs. And caged eggs, which is 96% of the market. So 96% of eggs are caged in South Africa. We did them amino acid profiles. Ours knocked the pants out of everybody. You get more amino acids in our egg than you get in anybody else's egg. That's why you're eating an egg. Because amino acids is the building box for protein which builds your body. We just bought, and it hasn't come yet, but we bought a thing called a bio-nutrient meter. Because this is where I think we are on the cusp of super exciting stuff in agriculture. I think called a bio-nutrient meter which measures literally the nutrient density of products. So you're going to walk into a shop within a few years' time, maybe in a few months' time, you're going to have four different types of lettuce there. You're going to have your bio-nutrient meter. You're going to go scan, 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 scan. That's the most nutrient-dense one. That's the one I'm buying. It will come from regenerative agriculture because just by virtue of how conventional agriculture farms, it's impossible that they could produce the most nutrient-dense food. Mm. It's impossible. But does it cost more to be a regenerative farmer in terms of operating your farm, making sure that you actually make a profit? 
Is it more expensive for you to do what you do or is it the same as a conventional farmer would spend? Dawn, I haven't farmed convention, so I'm unqualified to tell you whether I can or can't farm financially differently to a conventional farmer. If we look at eggs, our egg model is our, our hens live in what we call eggmobiles. We move those eggmobiles every day, every single day of the year to fresh pasture. My eggs are much more labor intensive, but my eggs are the most expensive eggs. I'm the farmer in the country gets the most for my eggs. As opposed to a caged guy, I'm probably getting three times more than the caged guy's getting. The caged guy's expenses are much less than mine, but people are willing to pay. People are willing to pay the premium because they're finally starting to understand what they're supporting. They're supporting a movement. Yes, they're supporting me, but they're actually supporting the staff I employ and they're not polluting the earth. Because here's the next we need to talk about is true cost accounting. If 99.9% of the beef that sold in South Africa was truly costed, it would probably be 10 times the price. What I mean by true cost accounting, and I'm talking as a management accountant with five years of honors degree behind me, no one ever even talks about the principle. But let's talk about grain-fed feedlot beef, which is the market. What is not in the cost? The first thing that's not in the cost is the fact that you get sick when you eat that beef because there's too much omega-6 the omega-6 and 3 balances out because the diet of the animal is in violation of its digestive system, which causes the wrong fats to metabolize in the body. The second thing that you're getting for free is antibiotic resistance. 90% of all antibiotics in South Africa go to animals and not to humans. Do not you know of someone who got sick, they took antibiotics, they weren't getting better. Mm-hmm. They'd have gone a stronger course. Well, they've been antibiotic resistant because of the stuff in their meat that they've been eating. The third thing is on the price is the inflammatory, is the environmental destruction from the actual feedlot. Have you ever been to a feedlot? Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, you want to name names? Yeah. Because years ago, when I just started farming, I named some feedlot by names and they sued me and they, the big boys mm. don't like having their names named mm. in public. But everyone knows who they are. It is a sickening experience to go to those places. The caged animal agriculture happens all over the place. You guys have experienced it. It's a, it's a visceral experience. It's a smell. It's a sight. It's a sound. It's brutal. And it's a highly polluting environment. Now, who's going to clean up that pollution? The taxpayer, which means it's you and me. So that's a cost that should be in there. Then there's a cost to the food that that animal is fed, the environmental cost from that, all those poisons. Where do you think they go? So that's not in the cost. I can go on. This interview is not about true cost accounting. I'm just saying to you, there's an element here that we need to have all the costs on the table. Conventional food is cheap food at a high cost. Part of the reason why the conventional production happens is because of this the scale that people say we need to produce food out to feed what's like 10 billion people or something. If we all farm farm regeneratively, is that practically realistically possible? I'm so happy you asked that question. I do farm tours almost daily. We have a very detailed discussion about the conventional system. We show them our system. We, We chat on the whole thing. The question, of course, is a totally bogus question. The question is always, how are we going to feed the 9 billion by 2050? And the answer is then, oh, no, but that's why we have this system. This system exists because it's the only way to feed people. So the first point I'd like to make is that this system is not feeding anybody. It's making humans sick. And at the same time, it's polluting the environment. Whether it's 36 football fields a day of Brazilian rainforest that's been cut down or 300 square kilometers of topsoil that we lose every day, it's all agriculture. Forest for monoculture of soya, which is pig protein and vegan protein and margarine sold as butter, whatever it is. So we're polluting the earth. We are killing human beings with what's being produced from the conventional agriculture system. But everyone's telling you that's what we need more of. It's madness. What did Einstein say is madness? You must know that definition. Mm. It's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. It's a bogus question. The question shouldn't be how are you going to feed the world? The question is, how are we as a society going to choose to support regenerative organic agriculture? Because regenerative organic agriculture is the only system that can A, produce nutrient-dense food, B, create employment, and C, reverse the damage that's been done. 
can it produce the, the volume that's necessary? Easily. How much food is produced in the world today? As we sit here, there's enough food being produced in the world to feed between 11 and 14 billion people. There's never been a food production just, problem. It's not distributed. The wrong food okay. is produced in the wrong places by the wrong people. Are you then able to address that by farming regeneratively or? Easily. Okay, we're sitting here where I farm in Stellenbosch, on the other side of Stellenbosch. We're 10, 15 k's away from Kailicha. There's a million unemployed people there. Why aren't they growing their own vegetables? Why isn't Bekweni, which is around the a stone's throw from where we're sitting here, why aren't they growing their own vegetables? Why can't they do their own eggs and chickens? It's mm. easy. Small scale farming is an easy thing to do. There's just, it's a super, super challenging to get to the economies of scale. Mm. That's the difficulty. Vegetables you can do on more or less, it's a tricky thing, but livestock is becoming a, a problem. I think eggs is a relatively easier thing to do, but good quality food is hard to find. Without trying to sound too philosophical or anything, capitalism is not geared to helping the little guy. It's just the nature of the beast that we're in. So what I'm hearing is small-scale farming is actually in line with regenerative mostly? Not necessarily. There's a lot of small-scale farmers who are in thrall to Mm. big agriculture because the extension agent says, if you don't spray that, this is going to happen. If you don't inject that, this is going to happen. This is the only way to grow crops. If we're thinking now from the small-scale perspective, is regenerative out of reach? How difficult is it to... So, there's a couple of elements to that question. The first mm-hmm. is, what is your definition of small-scale? Anything from really backyard to a couple of hectares of crop growing. Because the other element with scale is mm-hmm. how seasonal is your production. In our case, we are slaughtering cattle every week, pigs every week, and we're getting eggs every single day. If you're a vegetable grower, depending on how you grow veggies, you could be getting things mostly daily, but it's not quite a thing like that. And if you're a fruit grower, well, you, for most of the year, you're looking for employment. Mm-hmm. You've nothing to do. I grow grapes. I've made wine. If a viticulturalist is working four months a year, he's working hard. That's another problem where the clever people tell you, oh, you must specialize. You specialize in grapes. And then what about the other eight months of the year? So monoculture, conventional farming is in violation of nature. What is the first law of nature? Do you want to have a guess? Where I read it. The way I've read it, I think it was in Paul Hawkins' book. Anyway, it was in some book that I read this. The first law of nature is the law of diversity. And I think it's profound and true. Some people say it's the second law of thermodynamics or something like that. But the fact is the first law of nature is the law of diversity. Because Mm. if you have no diversity, things disintegrate. The principle behind regenerative is you basically... You stack and regenerate. Fundamentally, you're trying to build your soil. How many microorganisms do you think there are in a handful of healthy soil? Millions. There's one number. Hundreds of thousands, I guess. There are more microorganisms in a handful of healthy soil than there are human beings on the planet. What? Yes. There are a billion in a teaspoon. Conventional agriculture is at war with those guys. Regenerative agriculture is trying to be their friend through various tools which we can talk about. How does that dynamic work? Stacking and then somehow that restores the health to the organisms in the, in the so, soil. So they're related, but they're separate principles. The, mm. the, the principle of stacking, which Joel Salatin really talks about the best, is that you want to try and use the same piece of land for multiple income streams. We just actually just closed our broiler business precisely because of scale, because we're too small. But we were doing broilers, so let's take broilers out. We do beef, pork, eggs, carbon credits, bit of lamb. I can keep going. I'm gonna, eventually, I will find a way to harvest some of my pasture seeds. There'll be another income stream we can put on top. But now you're a conventional wheat farmer. What do you do? One thing. Again, law of diversity. And then, and then, by having all these different animals in the soil, rotationally grazing, because that's the cornerstone of regenerative agriculture, mm. is you rotationally graze animals around your farm. A lot of animals, small space, short period of time, long rest period. By doing that, you're pumping the carbon into the soil. 
and the more carbon there's in the soil, the more nutrients go in, the more microorganisms can live in. That's your virtuous circle. So we've been talking about regenerative farming in terms of human health and human well-being. Mm -hmm. How does it sit in terms of the whole the climate crisis that we are facing? I would argue that it's the number one tool to address climate change. Right. The least technology-heavy issue to address climate change, and that's heresy in our society. Because if there's one thing that everybody says is technology, technology, technology. Mm. Technology's got us in the mess that we're in. So it's very simple. All the animal protein in the world can be produced off pasture. Pastures that are rotationally grazed, carbon that is therefore sequestered into the soil as opposed to pushed into the atmosphere. And there you go, you know, creating employment, you're reversing climate damage and you're producing nutrient-dense food. South Africa, the unhealthiest country in the world, can take out all the sugar cane. What does sugar do? Makes you sick and fat. All the gum plantation, which just destroy the ecology. So basically we're talking about KZN and Pumalanga now and replace them with multi-species pastures. We raise our pigs, our chickens, our cattle, our lamb and all that stuff. And sequester carbon. And sequester carbon. I was wanting to ask about that. You you are described as, in, as a carbon sequestrator. The carbon credit story is just a talking point. Yeah. It's not a huge amount of money that we received, mm. but it was it's it's some nice money we have received over the years. Yeah. Twenty thirteen it started, so we do it every three years. So our last batch was twenty seventeen, March twenty twenty. We're doing our next soil test. They basically show that we have increased the carbon content in the soils over time, okay. and there is a value put on that. There's an auditing firm that comes to audit us. We go through a company called Credible Carbon. And the reason we go through Credible Carbon is because Credible Carbon pay me half the net profit. of, the, So they basically take off the cost, obviously, of the audit and the value of what the carbon credits are. And then half of the net comes to me and the other net half net to my staff. That's a condition that Credible Carbon has, which is okay. wonderful. Just wrapping up our conversation, Angus, is, is this all worth it? You started this journey more than 10 years ago and... Is it really worth it for you to continue on and thinking about the future and, and how it will affect everyone in the end? Unequivocally, it's worth it. I had a breakthrough meeting three hours ago with checkers who now want me on board and have signed, they're basically going to take everything, which is awesome if the biggest retail in Africa is now putting its muscle behind regenerative agriculture. It's super hard work. The thrill also, though, of producing the cleanest animal protein in the country, feeding it to myself and my family is amazing. Watching the improvement in the soils, improving how everything's going. It's a blessing to be able to do what we do. And you get to go to work bare feet. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> I think that brings us to the end of the conversation. I must say season two has been amazing, Corvus. And thank you, Angus, for joining us and sharing your story. Got a little bit. I actually want to invite him back for another conversation yeah. on another day. But thank you so much for joining us. Your insight has been Such really, really me. amazing. Thank you. There's a lot of food for thought in there. <laughs> a lot of food for thought. <laughs> thank you very food. much. Okay. All the best. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. If you can do us a favor, we'd really appreciate it. Give us a rating on wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you feel like it, also write us a short review on your favorite podcast platform. It'll help our podcast be discovered by more interested people. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast, supported by Food Form Zansi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.